cliffcentral.com. Yes, indeed. Um, speaking of or seeing that ad for the MKT show, Mbulelo is in Philadelphia at the moment. He was in L.A. Um, over the weekend with the Super Bowl. He's in Philadelphia now. He's going to be attending a bunch of U.S. sports events, meeting all kinds of people over there, and you can follow all of the goings-on on the MKT show, which is still daily. You don't want to miss that. And um, you can find out more by subscribing. Just go over to YouTube and subscribe to the MKT show. And you can subscribe and like to this as well. You know, we need uh, everybody to join in. So if you haven't already done that, make sure that you join us, that you like, subscribe, etc., etc. because otherwise I have to keep saying it uh, every week. It drives people crazy. It drives me crazy. It is time now for the Burning Platform which is our opportunity to catch up on all the big stories in the news, to talk about all the things that are going on, to speak to people who know what's going on, and to also get their expertise, their advice, their ideas, their analysis, and all the rest of it. It's been an interesting week. It's never a boring week in South Africa, I'm pleased to say. It's never a boring week in the world. We've never sat here with the burning platform, have we, Pumi, and gone, hmm, don't know what to talk about this what week. What shall we talk about today? Yeah. It's almost as if we've got a glut. We've, we're spoiled for choice. And this morning we're also in going fact, to be… there are things we never get to talk about because there's so much shit going on. <laughs> Spot on. So this morning we're joined by two people who are no strangers to our show. Uh, the first of these is Pumlani Majosi, a senior fellow at African Liberty and also a commentator on politics, economics and global affairs. And he joins us live this morning. How are you, Pumlani? Nice to see you. I'm well, I'm well, Gareth. Uh, good. I'm well, for me, it's great to see you. It's great to be back in 2022. Very, very good indeed. Hello. Yes, uh, we can follow Pumlani on Twitter at, at Pumlani M. Majosi. And uh, don't be surprised when you follow him that you will encounter huge firestorms of people who love and hate him because that's exactly how it goes. He's no stranger to controversy and has been uh, cancelled by the mob at least 200 times, but he keeps rising from the ashes like a phoenix. So good to have you here. And speaking of people, who get cancelled all the time or who get into fights all the time on social media. Julieta Talevi is no um, stranger to us. She's also, the last time I saw you, Julieta, I think it was on my TV show. And um, yeah, that, yeah, that was a fun time. There was a fun time. Um, and you got into a whole lot of trouble, didn't you? What um, for having um, that lunatic on your show. But um, Oh, but, uh, but yes, you actually tweet. I saw you tweet about this the other day. Someone sent me the, the screenshot. Um, you said, goodness me, I recall all the shrieking over nutcase David Icke appearing on Gareth's show two years ago. I wonder if there's a similar outrage tonight over the untrammeled anti-vax delirium that our former Chief Justice is currently spouting on JJ Tabani's show. Because Mohueng Mohueng was on. He, I didn't know this. He's a... Massive anti-vaxxer. Hmm. He's rabid. How did you miss it? I didn't. I don't, I don't follow Mohueng uh, Mohueng's every move like you and Julieta do. What? Yeah, he even had a massive prayer. He Judicial even had stalkers. a massive prayer about no. it. And, and about the vaccine and about wow. the, the vaccine and the, the nefarious work of the devil. And if this oh. vaccine is... That, those were his words, not my so, words, his words. So they didn't, they if didn't, uh, they didn't they, they, was there an uproar? Was there an outrage? Did people go crazy and claim that JJ Tabani was spreading misinformation and disinformation? No? No, of course not. Not that I saw. No. no, of course not. But, um, you know, I bring on the world's most, con most famous conspiracy theorists to talk about conspiracy theories, and uh, then uh, obviously I become the anti vaxxer by. By association. by association. I mean, even though I've had 
two shots of the Pfizer, I'm an anti-vaxxer. So, yeah, call it what you will. All right. So, Julieta, uh, you, you're jumping straight into uh, into some, some controversial issues here, but we've got lots to talk about with both you and Pumlani this morning. Um, I mean, let Pumi maybe set the first direction of the agenda this morning. So, Pums, where do you want to start today? Because I always uh, take the reins here, and it's maybe your turn. It's just now that we're talking about the Chief Justice, I'm, I'm mm. interested to know if, Julieta, you watched the whole thing and what your view was on um, yeah, no, kind I didn't, of what he me, said. I, yeah, I didn't, actually. I, I, I actually had to switch off. I, I thought this is just, this is just pure um, uh, rubbish, really. Um, look, I mean, I suppose... Actually, yeah, I don't, I don't, it was kind of indefensible. Um, and maybe JJ Tabani, you know, he's pretty hard hitting a lot of the time, didn't, didn't kind of push back enough. Um, what was very interesting, um, and I think someone on, on Twitter, uh, mentioned it. Um, did you see the background? It's like, it was sort of the fire burning. The fireplace. Like <laughs> the portal to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Do not enter, ye anti-vaxxers. <laughs> or the vaccinated maybe would would burn, would be consumed well, in the fires of hell. It was very, it was all very, very disconcerting. So I, I, I must confess that I didn't watch it, but it was, you know, you thought um, this is a fairly astonishing platform for someone who was our former chief justice, mm. um, and I, I really didn't agree with it. I don't know, Pumlani, if maybe, maybe you agreed with him. I don't know. What did you think of it? Did you see any of this, uh, Pumlani? Yeah, I did. I have um, sort of followed uh, Mohun for a while uh, on this, especially over the past two years or so. To me, it doesn't come out as someone who's anti-vax. I just oh. think that his view, his views are that people should not be forced to take the vaccine. Now, that does not that does not make you know. Uh, Anti-vax. I also believe in that too. That people should not be forced by the state to take the vaccine to be injected with the medical treatment. And um, you know, I've I've taken my vaccines. I've taken all the shots, the shorts, just like you, um, Gareth. But I don't believe that we must have the laws and whatever uh, measures we take force people to take vaccine. And that doesn't come out as anti-vax. Now, part of his arguments over the past. Um, a year or two, including, uh, you know, in his encounter with J.J. Tabani this week, um, is that, you know, there should be, people should be allowed to express what they think, right? Not be sort of be, 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 uh, be pushed away. In other words, he says that there should be the debate about the matters of the, the, the effectiveness of the, of the COVID vaccines, about the debates around the coronavirus itself, around the restrictions and so on. And to me, I don't think that is, I don't, I don't think such comments or people like that or people who say such things should be, you know, um, you know, demonized and, and, and sort of be shunned, well, be pushed away. Be 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 branded as as anti-vax. I don't think that's that, that's yeah. how it comes out. You know, you you make you make a fair point. I mean, these days it, it does seem it's completely binary. Like you can't have any nuanced position between mandates on the one hand and anti-vaxxers on the other. It seems that everybody has to belong to one of those categories. You can't be one of those people somewhere in the middle. I mean, I feel just personally, I feel a little bit like I was rumbled because 
I was told that I wouldn't be able to travel, and that was one of my major motivations. I, I wasn't particularly concerned for my health um, to get the, the the vaccine. I wasn't. I, I never worried about COVID from the get go, and and I think anybody who listens to the show know, knows that. But I did go for the vaccine because I thought, you know what? If they're going to prevent me from traveling because I don't have this thing, then let me go and get it done. And now governments all over the world are starting to drop the. The, the necessity for this. They're starting to open up. They're starting to say, you don't need masks anymore. Um, this was this was unnecessary. That was unnecessary. Let's open up. Even governments in places where this was their primary focus for the last two years. And I do have to ask you all, because I think we see this happening everywhere now. Um, all of these guys, from Joe Biden to Justin Trudeau to Jacinda Ardern, uh, even to Cyril Ramaphosa, they all started off, and to Cyril's credit, he stuck to it. I mean, I don't think he could force a mandate in this country if he tried, because there'd be an uproar. But all of these guys started off with, let's get the vaccine, but of course it would be wrong of me to force you to. Then somewhere in the middle, they're like, well, we'll give you free hot dogs, or you know, we'll let you uh, take part in a lotto if you, if you get the vaccine. You know, kind of trying to coerce people in. And many people did. I think most responsible people said, okay, look, I don't want to get sick, and I don't want to take the chance of going to hospital, so I'm going to get it anyway. I'll make the right decision for myself. But then somewhere along the way, it became important for these guys to insist on a mandate in some of these countries, and some of them still do cons- you know, insist on this mandate. That's what's going on with this truck protest in Canada at the moment. And I want to know how you guys figure in your heads this move from where governments said – look, we're going to bring in the vaccine, we'll make it free, we'll do this for you, we'll try and make it as easy as possible. And it's still up to you to, if you don't get this thing, you're not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Because it has changed over time. Julietta, you go first. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah, I'm... I mean, you know, the, the, what's been happening in Canada is fascinating. It's because it's a it's a fascinating um, in encroachment of the state um, in you know with, with the trucker protests where they've now uh, signed into law um, they can you know close down these protesters' bank accounts. So yeah. so you wouldn't need formally to have had a court order. You don't need. They don't need that anymore. They can just kind of shut you out of the financial system, which is really an exceptional sort of attack on one's liberties. Yeah, Um, that's what you'd expect from a banana banana republic, you know. You know, uh, the social good, and uh, I I mean, I I find that I do find that disturbing. Um, I mean, I. I, yeah, I think you're right about South Africa not uh, being able to impose a, sort of a countrywide mandate from the states um, because there would be there's there's too much resistance anyway, and I think you would have. Um, but maybe we've been saved to some extent by the fact that there is such there was such community transmission of the of mm. of the of COVID. So. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've spoken to a few people at Discovery and they say that, you know, the seroprevalence is sort of over 70% to 80%. You know, you have had a sort of a fair yeah. amount of people being vaccinated. Um, and, and and we've just learned to get on with things, whereas we don't live in a, in a nannying kind of state such as maybe well, Canada or, I mean, we, or we, New Zealand. I don't think we, we couldn't if we tried, right? Because 
and this is our saving grace. And again, I give credit to the townships in South Africa who set the standard for all of us early on and said, we're not going to listen to you, government. We're going to carry on trading. We're going to carry on doing our thing. And thank God, because those communities would have starved and would have run out of resources. In many cases, they did. And everything would have been a colossal fuck up if, um, if South Africa had listened to the government from the get-go. I mean, in these other countries where people have listened to the government, those places where they listen are taking the longest to get back economically yeah. to where they should. But I, I don't want to go too much into this because, I mean, who's, who still wants to talk about COVID and vaccines right now, except maybe... So the, the cool thing, that, that the good place um, to move to is as we're talking about the economics hmm. of not just South Africa, but the world and where we are, you know, and heading to get at this again is, you know, your area of speciality. Kumlani, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Heading into the budget speech next Well, I'm not the editor of the financial mail. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm not the editor of the financial mail either. I'm just a a mere money editor. (laughs) Money editor's better than uh, any of us who are no editors. But but yeah, Pumi's right. Like the budget speech coming up. Mm. Is looking at where we sit in the economics of our country with high, high, high unemployment, with an incredible lack of skills because of our dismal education system. Mm-hmm. Where to Covadas, you know, where to from here? What can the minister, what, what can the minister do? for us, if anything, what can small businesses do to turn the situation around and what can, you know, people like you and I look forward to in this year ahead? Hmm. Well, I suppose, you know, what's going to be coming out of next week is, um, which is probably something that that uh, you guys, oh, I imagine that. Pumlani and Gareth, uh, uh, I would maybe uh, uh, assume their views on um, is the the basic income grant. There's going to be news on that. Um, And, um, um, you know, and whether we can afford it, which we can't really. But uh, so I think that's going to be one of the biggest themes to emerge from the the budgets, whether or not they've... um, that is actually going to be on the cards. I mean, a lot of people are pushing for it, um, but the, the cost of the fiscus will be immense. And and it can only really be borne if you, then you get much stronger economic growth, um, which we show no signs of attaining. Um, the I mean, Pumi, you mentioned the uh, incredibly low, and uh, I mean, our incredibly low employment uh, yes. figures um, are incredibly high unemployment and this also this weird concurrent lack of skills. It's sort of a, a terrible toxic combination, but uh, you, you really need political will to sort this out. And Cyril yesterday effectively stood by his cabinet um, and he said the said South, he he said the South African, the they, South African people the have faith in them. And that's what he said. I mean, it's outrageous. We don't have faith in his cabinet. Who's he talking to? <laughs> he stood by his cabinet as he builds a parallel structure within yeah. the presidency. Right. Exactly. If you stand by your cabinet, why are you bringing in Sipo Nkosi um, and Mvusa Mzimang? Um, so 
so uh, sorry, I'm I'm going all over the place here. Yeah, but but um, you know, we've got a lack of skills. Um, I, I think maybe a bit of nuance in a, the critical skills list that's been finalised, which is would allow for um, immigration, um, you know, um, to bring in those skills from from further afield, um, isn't um, the the anti the anti foreigner sentiment that maybe we have feared to come out from the state. So there's clearly, you know, the state, I, I recognize that it has to kind of try and foster South African jobs growth mm-hmm. um, at the same time bringing in critical skills from abroad. So hopefully they're doing, you know, they, they are, I think, a, 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 awake to this to this issue. But this is not something that's going to be fo- f- fixed in next week's budget. Um, and no. I, 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 yeah. Um, well, well, Pumlani, I mean, you've got strong views on what the budget should and shouldn't uh, include. And, and Julieta hinted at the, the, the social grants, which they're going to obviously try to raise. And I know that the president's promised that there will be further payments made until probably a March of next year uh, to people who've been affected by all of the ups and downs of the last two years. Uh, we, we, we're already supporting, if you're a taxpayer in this country, and by taxpayer I mean income taxpayer, you're already supporting like 16 to 17 people that you didn't ask to be responsible for. How much more can each taxpayer take? Well, that's a great question. Um, because when you look at our tax base, it, it's quite very small in South Africa. That's one of the challenges that we face. And add to that the reality that you already have a repressed, depressed economy that isn't really growing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we last grew about 2% back in 2013 or so. So uh, you have a repressed economy that is not productive. You have the numbers that were, uh, or at least the comment that was made by Kumi that we have very staggering, shocking unemployment rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now we're at 47%. If you include people who have given up looking for work. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we are approaching nearly half of our workforce of our workforce is, is jobless. And now we struggle to find those kind of unemployment rates in the major emerging markets across the world. So really the, 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 the challenge is real. Um, and I mean, next week's budget will basically cover things like, at least will give us an idea around taxes, what's going to happen, because there is again, as you just mentioned, Garrett, this talk of, um, you know, universal basic income grants, that government has kept extending the, you know, at least the grant that people have been getting for COVID. It's been getting extended. You know, now, now yeah. uh, American economist Milton Friedman, who won a Nobel, uh, he once said, "There's nothing." Somebody said something along the lines, "There is nothing as permanent as a government's temporary program." Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> whatever looks yeah. like temporary. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I, I even tweeted. I even tweeted last year. Um, um, Garrett saying that, you know, this COVID grant, trust me, they always say it's going to be cut off by this date. It's not going to happen. No, it's going to keep <laughs> it's going forever. Yeah, and and yes, we, yeah. we can't, we can't borrow much more money, can we? I mean, we've got, we've got, our costs are going up as a country. The, the state itself, the bureaucracy is a very expensive business. We, we pay, uh, for, for, for millions of, of people in the police and teachers and nurses and all the rest of it. And that's not to mention our overbloated cabinet, which has already got a, an honorable or dishonorable mention this morning. Um, we, we're not talking about cut, cutting costs. We never do. When the, when the finance minister does table his budget, he never says, Here's where we're going to find ways to save you money. It's always about where can we get more money to pay for the more things that we're going to put on the menu. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, for uh, just in terms of the, the the current social grant, which is the 350 rand a month social grant, so that's costing us about 50 billion rand a year. Mm-hmm. And I think um, uh, Claire Bissick has written an article in this week's FM just looking at, you know, the affordability of this and, and, a, and a BIG. Um, and I think a two, percentage, uh, a two percentage point increase in that would fund 50 billion rand a year. But I just don't think they can do that. I don't, I mean, you can't, like, taking that to 17%. So at least, I mean, uh, Pumlani is talking about the uh, our incredibly um, anorexic tax base, but this then would be a tax borne by all South Africans or, any, or anyone, you know, um, uh, sort of, um, doing business in South Africa. But but that would be a, a take a heavy toll, and I think you'd have absolute pushback from from huge sectors of society. Um, yeah, especially amongst the poor people. You know, there, there is an economist I, 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 I would like to to refer to here, and that is is it Isa or Isam Shanga or Isam Shanga, the guy who is a chief economist at uh, Alexander Forbes. I think his comments over the past day have been quite interesting because. I mean, Mshlama says we are, we are having wrong conversations, uh, Karen, mm-hmm. right? We are talking about how to basically spend more, you know, how to spend more on social grants. He, he says that the focus should be how to, how to really bring in structural reforms and how to go about investing, both from the private and public sector, investing in things that can bring productivity into the economy, right? So that people can find jobs, wake up in the morning and go to work because the social grants debate in South Africa that's, that keeps on being debated. It's not really something that can be sustainable um, in the country. And I think he has, he has good points. Um, mm. The guys have no ideas. You know, unfortunately, what we do see is we don't see any new ideas coming out of out of the, the ministry, coming out of treasury, even just ideas of what can we do differently. It's just more of the same. So the idea of taxing more is... is it's always their first place to go to is how can we get more taxes out of the people who are paying taxes? And unfortunately, that's not going to work. It's, it's not going to stimulate what we needed to stimulate. Yeah. yeah, because, I mean, you know, here's what I, I, I sort of, that is my view, that um, you have to, this the, the spending that has got out of hand over the past, I don't know how long now, a decade and a half or so, that the government spending that has that has continuously increased, there has to be sort of a really concrete, you know, well-crafted plan as to how that gets reduced. Now, to reduce that spending, um, it would need to put in, or you need to. It, it needs to be accompanied by structural reforms. What, what structural reforms will do is that as you seek to reduce the spending, we are also going to create a productive economy, right? That can encourage investment, that can really create more jobs so that you have more taxes, right? So you collect more taxes. An economy that produces, where there's like stronger economic productivity so that we see more taxes being paid. So that ought to be the long term. Well, now they just talk about all they want is to continue increasing taxes, okay, but, but- including running up people who are wealthy. So it's all yeah. it's all good and well that the, the the four of us are sitting here talking about this in theoretical terms, but they are they're, they're hemmed in by a number of things. Number one, and and Julieta, you could perhaps speak to this too. There there is a certain threshold beyond which people become tax evaders. I mean, you can, you can squeeze people to a certain 
uh, level and then they start becoming non-compliant and people who otherwise would have paid their taxes happily find ways of dealing in cash or they find ways of dealing in, in underhanded and, and, and black market ways that perhaps they wouldn't do if the tax was more fair than that. And I think we're already close to that point. Many people already are doing that kind of thing, I suspect. Um, certainly there are lots of businesses mm. that run on you know, non-book means and, and we know that that's, that's part and parcel of South Africa's very striated and varied economy. The other thing is that we talk about them cutting costs, but most of the bills, most of the expenses on the government side are salaries. And they're not going to cut those jobs because they are in bed with the unions. And the unions have said, not only can you not fire people, but you must give them increases that are not always just competitive with inflation, but that outdo inflation very often. I mean, outrageous demands of like double-digit increases year on year for people who work in the public service. And this has happened year after year after year without anyone so much as raising an eyebrow because we know the ANC and the unions are in bed together. So there's this comfortable relationship they've got. You can't really do much if you're the finance minister. Your hands are tied. Yeah. And I mean, the other level that you need to consider is um, the loyalty, the the party loyalty that rests on local government. So, in other words, you know, municipal councillors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, these we know the dire states of municipalities every year. That it seems to get worse. You get the Auditor General's report, which is sort of excoriating uh, yeah. in how it details the rot in South Africa's municipalities. But I mean, you know, huge amounts of money, more than two-thirds are spent on municipal salaries. But there's a reason behind that because these are the kind of the structures that then keep the ANC in power. Uh, you know, these, these municipal jobs are, are important. They're well paid. Yeah. They, um, and so, I mean, I, I, I think toying, uh, you know, trying to break that that sort of stranglehold is good. That's, that's where you have to break it. Um, sure. Because actually, I mean, Pomlani talks about structural reforms, which always sounds so theoretical. And you think, well, okay, what is a structural reform? Okay, so it's bringing in uh, cheaper broadband by, you know, um, releasing spectrum to the market, which has been delayed for 15 years. Okay. But, but higher productivity could be achieved by not having to spend an entire day in a queue at home affairs because the systems yeah. are down or where it takes four hours to get to renew your driver's license or whatever it is. That's, that's where you could get instant productivity gains. If you just, if those systems just worked properly and, and that's well, not, on, on, that, on, that, on that note, I don't want to bore the audience who's already heard me uh, going on about this. No, no, it's, this is a, a quick story that will make you all feel better. I went to um, the, the road traffic management people here in, in Centurion, and I went to renew my driver's license the other day. It took me 10 minutes. It was extraordinarily efficient. Everyone was smiling, happy, great service, and they didn't give me special treatment because everyone got the same thing, and everyone got out of there in 10 minutes. It was run like a well-oiled ship. I actually actually wasn't even sure what had happened to me. I had to pinch myself afterwards. But I made a video saying, you know what, compliments where compliments are due. And I tagged yeah. Vicky Limbalula and I tagged, you know, the the, um, the the Enatus people and all the rest of it. It worked and I was blown away. Now, obviously, these people are just doing their job and we shouldn't be praising people for just doing their job. But they did it really well. And it was a surprise because I'm so used to the alternative. And I think there are places, there are these shining examples that prove that state apparatus can work. And when it does work, it's so goddamn good. It's phenomenal. It makes you feel like you're 
you know, you're, 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 you want to direct as much of your tax money to those people as possible. And I'm not a big fan of tax, but if we're going to spend it, let's spend it on things that work. And I, I do also think that it's worth noting at this point, the president did make a comment on something, which I think both Julieta and Pumlani and Pumi will all think are probably, it's a, it's a bit of a breakthrough. I mean, we know that the president speaks sometimes with a forked tongue, and he says things that he, he knows people want to hear, um, whether it's his own supporters, his own comrades, or whether it's the public at large. But he did admit, and this is the first time we've had a president admit this, because most of them have believed that the state can do anything. Uh, he did admit that small businesses create jobs, not government. That's a big admission in a State of the Nation address. And I think it does have consequences, because for many people in his own constituency, and in his own party, that's never been said to them. They've heard that the state creates jobs and that the state has this unbelievable power to make anything possible. And now finally, the, the rub is hitting the road and someone has actually said, and it's the president in this case, actually, we can't make jobs. Businesses have to make jobs. So let's let businesses, and this is obviously the corollary that follows from that, let's leave businesses alone to do what they do. And he was heckled, I think, quite. <laughs> you, could hear, you could hear the mutterings in the audience. <laughs> yeah, it's too good to be true. Did he, though? Although, Garrett, you know, even as he said that, unfortunately, what that State of the Nation address by Cyril also did was if you juxtapose his 20, what he said in 2018 and what he said this week. This past week, what mm -hmm. he said, you know, he's a lot of he's just reset it. He's just he said it once before and now he's just saying it again, kind of like okay. not going back to say, you remember I said this and this is how much progress we've done since then. Oh, no, he's just come back and he's like said it again. Right. And then he's, you know, asked for more time. Give us time and we're going to consult and we're going to put together a social compact with everybody. And well, then, well, oh, yeah, you, you know, guys we're going to have another hundred days of consulting and then we're going to have a social Come on. But aren't on. you guys pleased that at least government's going to provide everyone a 10 gigs of free data? I mean, that's obviously going to happen. Do you know this for a fact, Gareth? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think Pumi's being a bit harsh. I mean, like, I think um, I think his speech was more, it was definitely more um, uh, hard-hitting that, uh, that I haven't really heard before. But then, but then he sort of almost <laughs> immediately slid back, you know, into saying, oh, in his newsletter, well, it's the private sector that creates jobs and a developmental state. Mm -hmm. and, oh. mm -hmm. um, and I mean, my colleague at the FM, Sam Kokedi, wrote a few opinion pieces on just how he will be hamstrung by his cabinet. Yeah. So we talked about this already, bringing in these outsiders, Sipo and Kosi and Vuso. Um, but, you know, will they be able to, work with the cabinets. I don't know. Um, um, I mean, if they can, if they can bypass them and actually, un, you know, unblock a whole bunch of things, then that'd be fantastic. But wh why does he need that? Why does he need to bring an outsider when he actually has a cabinet that's supposed to do that work? Yeah. Like the Department of Small, ah, please. Uh, the Department of Small Business is supposed to be why is cutting every... the, why do they need somebody uh, else why is... that has an entire office and an entire support staff and, ah, and, please. and that's going to sit in the presidency so that they could, then Cyril must do a 
a better job at managing his cabinet. I'm he surprised. Must do a job as a manager. Consider that all of our parastatals and part of the reason state capture happened so so easily was because everyone had consultants everywhere, and the consultants were very often had their own hands in the cookie jar for every deal that was made. Um, so it's not surprising because what we do in this country is we appoint someone to a position because it looks really good, and we think it's it makes them important, and then they can feel like they're doing something. But then we inevitably have someone on the side who's being paid even more than the CEO to consult with his huge team of people and who really runs the show. I mean, I'm surprised we don't have a consultant in the presidency actually running the country. I mean, there may even be such a person. Maybe that is what Vuso Simang is coming yeah. for. So in one of the Sunday papers, I, I want to say we pay twice for every job. City Press. I, I want to say to City Press, they actually had a graphic that that has a, an organogram mm. of what the presidency looks like. <laughs> the number of people, like Didi Mabuza. When was the last time you saw Didi Mabuza? He's got four. Count them. Four advisors under him. <laughs> like what? The, what the advising hell does him he in do? what? The number of DDGs sitting in that in the presidency, guys. Just the presidency. I'm not talking mm. about all of the various like ministries and who sits in those ministries. So by him bringing them, bringing in uh, uh, you know two more people that are going to be like, what's his job? Is the red tape cutter? Is that his job? Come on. Yeah, that's his job. Red tape cutter. You got it right. <laughs> and, he's, and he's such a nice man. I hope, like, I hope he's not going to get sort of chewed up no, and I mean, spat out because. I, yeah, my um, yeah. I mean, to look, I, I, I think Ramaphosa's speech last week was quite. Um, I think on the economy, he was right. His comments were right. Though, of course, as Julieta is saying, there's been sort of uh, this week in his newsletter, he says, "Well, we also need a development from." Yeah, backtrack. Uh, that thing, I think that's the best word to use. But I think when you speak about the, the sauna last week, I think about the economy, he was quite really, he said things that I, I've never seen him as, as quite, you know, um, bold um, of, over the years. And also by the fact that, yes, we may be concerned that there's another additional or more appointment with Siponkosi, but Siponkosi is a very reputable, um, you know, businessman who's accomplished. Uh, in the country, and I think who's already doing a great job, um, who has done a great job in the private sector. I, I look, I give him support, right? Mm. Because I think at the end of the day, I, I want things to be. I would love to see him succeeding in reducing the regulations, the red tape that that really are constraining are constraining business. Now, the challenge from Maposa is not only in his cabinet, which is usually made up of people. Some of them are like Lindo Susulu, right? So. It's also within the ANC itself. Maybe during the weekend, what happened was that the ANC affiliates or, you know, many people in the ANC, they said, dude, what did you say on, on Thursday? What was that? <laughs> and then he came back on Monday to, to turn things down and say, actually, you need a developmental, a developmental state. Uh, so, I mean, there will be also those constraints within his party, especially as he as there will be an elective conference in December. I think I was in a, I was in a webinar with Helen Zeal uh, last week where we were basically reviewing the the talk about the sauna and she was saying well you know what the president said was Paul was bold given the fact that this year he is in a leadership battle. So for him to come out like that mm -hmm. early in the year, even though he faces this political kind of 
you know, conditions ahead was quite poor from him. So the reference to the elective conference is quite important. And that can, I believe, will constrain him in terms of really, you know, effecting the reforms that are needed and that many in the, you know, the NC world will be opposed to some people. For me, you've never used the word bold when speaking of uh, Cyril. So I, I think let's let's move on. I mean, you, you're even squinting now at, uh, <laughs> at what Pumlani is saying. <laughs> Julieta, I know yeah. you. I know you have to go because you. Yeah, sorry. You've got mum. No, you've got mum duty. Yeah, and that's, that's very. That's much more important because trust me, one day you she's... should get in the car and phone us back, Julieta. <laughs> no, one no. Of the, one of these days she's going to have to take over the economy and make it work. So better that she goes to school. Um, just any any other stuff from you, because there's so much on the agenda this week. We're talking about the Sona, obviously, last week, but we're also talking about international stuff. I mean, what do you think, as the money editor at the Financial Mail, what do you think of what you see in America with this rampant inflation? Obviously, the economy is coming back, and, and that was inevitable. After you shut it down, it's going to come back once you open the tap again. But it's coming back in, in, in different places and in dribs and drabs, and obviously some places more successfully than others. But when you've printed as much money as Joe Biden has, the inevitable consequence of that is going to be out-of-control inflation, and that is what America is going to have to deal with as their primary economic problem going forward. Mm. How does this affect ordinary people, and what could its spillover be for us? So in, for ordinary people... Uh well, okay, you know, they have to pay more for everything. Mm. Um, but the great thing in America is that finally wage inflation is picking up. So they're getting paid more to do uh, their jobs, which I, th- I think is long overdue. Yeah. Um, but, um, it's, it's going to mean high interest rates. Um, I don't think we have this quite the same runaway inflation here, although uh, PPI in December of 10.8%, you know, CPI was sort of still within the target band. So that's going to start, there's a lag. So that's saying what's coming down the track. It it does have to mean higher interest rates. So you're just going to pay more for your debt. Um, it's it's for, for people who've enjoyed an absolute stonking 18 months since the bottom fell out of the stock market in March 2020, it's going to mean a bit of a screeching halt, I think, for the, the highly priced stocks where, where the promise of growth is big mm-hmm. rather than the evidence of growth. In other words, uh, like a Netflix or, or, or companies that are in, uh, investing hugely in order to, to make earnings down the line, suddenly they become less valuable. Valuable. What is valuable now is company with earnings uh, and, and with cash in the business and low debt. Those are the valuable companies. And so they tend to be the more boring companies. So if you have a stock uh, share portfolio, those are the companies that are probably going to do okay. Um, um, but you know the the fangs well not all of them but but the highly priced tech stocks um that that you've been buying um and done well out of you know you've seen if if things anything wobbles the, the stocks get punished so so if you've had a quite a fun time trading these things in the last two years it's it's not so fun uh, right now for you um but you know, America's really sort of snookered. You know, that's got itself into a really difficult position. And I, I spoke to this really fascinating 
um, the, the author of this book, David Buckham, it's, it's called The End of Money. And, and he just says that, you know, it's, it's criminal what the, the, the Federal Reserve. So you, you say Joe Biden, shame. It's not all Joe's fault. It's, well, it's the Federal no, it's Reserve that's been it, doing this. It, it probably none of it's, probably none of it's Joe's fault. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't know whether he's a teapot or a hockey stick most of the time. <laughs> but, but what you're, what you're, what you're doing, so, Juliet, I mean, I know that this is cheeky of me, but you seem to be arguing for cryptocurrencies that aren't controlled. No, by I'm oh, not. Okay, I actually right. am not. Sorry. I'm totally oh. sorry. I, I'm, I don't understand. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't understand. I still cannot wrap my head around something that only goes up in value because other people want it. To me, that is still the essence of what a cryptocurrency is. And then it falls because people are have well, had to unwind positions. It's, <clears throat> like, what is its intrinsic value? I, I still don't know. And, and I know the arguments against fiat currency as well. Mm. You believe you, the, the dollar is, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a faith based currency, but there's an economy behind it. Okay. So I don't know. No, I'm not arguing for cryptocurrencies and you might find <laughs> cryptocurrencies don't do particularly well this year either. Um, yeah. I'm sort of arguing for, I, I for just, boring. I, I like the idea of a, a decentralized means of of, of us creating a, a, a thing to trade with, where we don't have to rely on governments who have clearly let everyone down. If if anything, See, yeah. if this pandemic has taught us anything, it is that the promises of government are more worthless than ever, and that usually mm. the decisions they're made when pushed into a corner are going to be the worst possible decisions that will have much more devastating impacts on us than if we trust government and expect them to save us and keep us safe but but this lack of faith in 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 maybe governments or financial systems okay i i so know i'm reverting to this book but it was a really fascinating read and they argue that this lack of trust is is a terrible thing for because financial institutions like banks have been they have funded economic growth for centuries because you have trust in them and you have mm. You have the sense of a counterparty on the other side. So to not have trust in that system, which is why we have the proliferation of cryptocurrencies, um, is, is, it undermines democratic well, projects. It, 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 but, it does but, so much Julia, to sort of... They're not going to regain our trust by behaving like, for example, Trudeau is now, by seizing people's assets <laughs> no. just because they disagree with yeah. them. You know? This is not how you build yeah. trust. So all it's going to do is chase people further and further away from governments. And I couldn't imagine a better possible outcome. I know Pumlani will agree with me on this, being a bit of a libertarian. The less government has to do with us, Pumlani, the better, right? Of course. No, I do. I do. But I mean, the, the question is, I, I, I get what you are saying, Julieta, this, you know, this thing that people are losing trust in the institutions of democracy. But then the question is, with the rise of the cryptocurrencies, are people being worse off? And I'm talking about the people's livelihoods or standards of living. And the fact that things have been improving over the past decades or so, right? Mm. You know, in absolute kind of terms. We have seen poverty reductions. We have seen, you know, life expect expectancy going up. Uh, we have gotten sort of, we've gotten around many diseases. So there has been that kind of progress. So for us, I mean, us losing faith in institutions, so long as we have things or alternatives that can sustain us, and if they come from us as citizens and government doesn't have control of them, I think that's good. Was what politicians love to do. And that's what they are still doing. They are still finding ways 
um, that they can regulate, you know, cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I, I'm going to let yes. Julieta go, guys, because she has to, she has to do mum duty. Hello. I'm sorry, I have to no, go. No, 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 not a problem. I really enjoyed this. Um, so thank you very much for, for inviting me no, onto the show. I really appreciate it. It's always, always great to see you. And we, we've got lots to talk to Pumlani about. So you can listen in, in the car as you head in off the to car. school. Okay. Thank you, Julieta. <laughs> nice to see you. Julieta Televi from, um, Financial Mail. She's the, editor, the money and investing editor at the Financial Mail, also presents a show called Stockwatch on Business Day TV. You can find her at G. Talevi on Twitter. So Pumlani and Pumi, lots of people want to know about this. I know you've got something to talk about here when it comes to um, just the, the theatrics of all of this and what it means for South Africa, because we can take the glib view that this is pure entertainment, but the EFF and AFRI Forum had a little showdown yesterday. It was the right versus the left. And even for those of us... Yesterday was the seventh day. The showdown's been going on for seven days. Fair enough. It sounds like, according to the comments too this morning, uh, that's what people want to talk about. So, uh, Pumlani, did you watch any of this or are you disinterested? Uh, well, I did see a few clips here. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, it's... Uh, I think there's a great deal of generalizations um, amongst us as people. Um, we tend to think that, you know, one group of people thinks this way, um, and therefore you can't have people who think differently within that group, within that racial group, right? That's what I'm sensing. Um, having listened to to Julius Malema, the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, um, that he assumes that, you know, each and every... Uh, each and every, he makes assumptions about people. Um, I think he mentioned the word baboon, that white people, they tend to look at black people as baboons and wow. other kinds of, you know, racist, derogatory, um, uh, you know, kind of comments or thinking. So, I mean, for me, I think that is very dangerous um, to, to, to sort of group people, see them as collective, rather see people as individuals and judge them on that. Because not everybody would be the same in a, in a specific racial group. I think if we go down that line, we will really be sort of causing destruction uh, to our country and dividing it even, even more further. Yeah, Pumi, you said earlier this morning, I mean, you, you, you made the kind of um, the funny reference to Ikleva Nibari and what you think Julius Malema is. But, I mean, there is there is something about this that kind of people, whenever we're in good times we worry less about this stuff but when things are tough and for most people in this country they are tough we tend to think much closer to home we, th we tend to become a little more tribal even even if we think we're better than that and maybe there is something about this that is fascinating because we're holding up a mirror to the extremes of south africa in some way right we're looking at communities who are quite distant from each other i mean there couldn't be two people more polar opposite than Ernst Roots and Julius Malema, right? Uh, I mean, obviously things that they have in common, but ideologically they couldn't be further apart. And I wonder how much of it is real and how much of this is that posturing that we see in politics so much of the time. It's kind of AFRI Forum using this as an opportunity to show up Julius and the EFF and the EFF and Julius using this as an opportunity to show up AFRI Forum. There's a third part 
to it. And the third part to it is the mirror that's also being held up is the mirror to the society that we've all become. You know, you, you said earlier that we're in a way globally looking at it like it's some kind of entertainment. But yep. that's also how all of us on the outside have become. Everything has become reality TV, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is, is about kind of this visceral response to what you're watching yeah. and and how you're watching it and how you're consuming it. And it's and it really has eroded a level of of decency. Mm. For lack of a better word, it's eroded the level of decency that we as human beings as as a society also require for us to be able to to move forward. You know, just watching yesterday's showdown. Okay, let me not start with yesterday. Let me say seven days ago when when it all started, right? So when the when the guys first arrived at court and when the day adjourned and they had to leave outside the, the court precinct was a whole lot of EFF supporters chanting and singing and and they were unable to leave. They were unable to leave the court precinct because of of of, of the kind of the the jeering and what was happening right. on the second day. And they were singing, guess what? Kill the farmer. Mm. Uh, and know, on the second day for the proceedings to begin, they actually had to start by saying to the judge, listen, we need some kind of protections here because this is what happened to us. And here's the video of what happened as we were leaving. And right. it's, it's just. Yeah. Can I, can I, can I say something here, um, mm. uh, Garrett? And, and, and I, I'll be blunt here now. Um, you know, as per my usual tweets and comments I've made over the postures. And. You know, if the whether we as black people, and I'm going to speak as a black person now, you know, whether we, us as black people, um, whether white people like us or not, you know, really at this point, to me, I think it's not significant. What is significant in a democratic society that is ours, it's about how do we go about improving our own lives, right? There is no, the, the facts are clear. And I do not ever dispute the fact that we do live in a, a, a society that is unequal, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, even racial inequality still exists. It does exist. The question is, how do we move towards, you know, um, creating a society where we see people getting jobs? That's why I believe in them, in the economy that is productive. How do we go about, you know, people getting good education? How do we go about... You know, resolving we, especially us black people, the fundamental issues that we face, including the family breakdown. When you look at, uh, you know, absent fathers, fatherlessness, you know, in the country, it's it, uh, amongst the black people, our population, it's at a staggering, you know, level. Last time I checked, only 32% of kids live with their fathers. So, and we, the global research is clear on how important the nuclear, the nuclear family is mm. when it comes to achieving prosperity. So, I mean, if we, we also need to, I mean, also skills development as well, we need to get those things right, regardless of whether other racial groups like, like us or not. If we can get those fundamental things right, then we will prosper in a democratic South Africa. No, I don't the, see any... This is, where Pumi, this is where Pumi's right. It's almost like this thing is a sideshow. And I mean, it's obviously, we. I don't think anybody is in any uh, state of confusion about the fact that going around saying kill the whoever is a good idea. I think that that's what the case is about. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the, if anything, 
like Pumi was saying, this the, the behavior of the crowd outside of the court and the fact that that had to be entered into evidence the very next day proves that this is the kind of behavior that is uncalled for in a sensible, sober society that wants to do the things that you just mentioned, Pumlani. But the fact is, it is a sideshow. All of this is, even though it gets the most attention, the things that you're talking about never get any attention because they're not sexy subjects. It's much easier to say, oh, well, you lo- look at these guys. There's a hate speech or whatever. There's racism. Racism and hate speech get lots of attention. Fatherlessness, mm. joblessness, these things don't get attention. They're not exciting subjects. And the, yeah, and by the way, when you look at the polls, the polls that have been done, right, when it comes to the fundamental problems South Africans are concerned about, whether it's mm. security, jobs, you know, service delivery and so on, these matters of race, racism, if to be specific, they tend to be at the bottom, right? Now, um, that can be, to many people, that, that's usually a controversial statement to say, but yeah. it is a reality that people, they want to talk about things that affect them every day. So what you see between Afriforum and, and the EFF, it's really a... Um, Really, it's not something that really, it's, it's not a, a conversation that is important or significant to most people in the country. But it gets attention. I mean, Pums, if you had to. Um, yeah, it's, it's, wrong, it's wrongful attention, I should say. I mean, we are focused on things that are not yeah. important. Uh, have been sure. saying but, then, but then, I mean, Twitter is always a good barometer for what's really stupid and what people are interested in, even though it's not important. And, and people are. They're interested in, like, uh, you know, which celebrity uh, secret Mac G has found out this week and that kind of thing. And that's okay. But this thing keeps on being something that people are, 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 are seemingly distracted by. The distraction that it also creates is one that 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 allows us to be angry mm-hmm. at at the at the wrong problems, right? So it allows us to be angry at a particular thing and not what we should be angry about. So I am unemployed. I live in a you know my kids can't get to the school or we don't have prospects and and of course at that moment. And, and crime and, and, and of course at that moment, yeah. it is so much easier to be, to, to also be <laughs> ignited into being so angry and so vitriolic about the cause of the situation that I am in rather than how do we fix where we are in. And that's what, that's what Julius Malema and the EFF are very good at, good at doing. Mm. Is they're very good at saying the cause of your problems is X rather than this is how we're going to solve the problems. Right. You know, as, as much now, as. But you see, the thing is, you see, believing the cause, when they say the cause of your problems is X, it's usually, it's usually the wrong X in my view, right? They don't talk about the fundamental issues that I've just mentioned. Um, it doesn't matter. It, 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 right it doesn't there. matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. People, people don't want if, the right if you're answer. Able they to just want an my answer. Anger, yeah. If you're able to stir up my anger about a particular thing, whether it's it's one of ten, if this is the one that is th- that, that quickly sticks, and that's you know that's that's what Julius is. Julius is is able to be this. Um, this gladiator, as it were, you know, mm-hmm. he, he is able to, and, and you see it every day. So this week he may, he may stand for the brothers and sisters coming from Africa. And next week he is banging down the doors of people and saying, I want to see the ratios of who's local and who's, in. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, he's able to do all of those it's things. A kind of... And that is all of it 
all of it is about a misdirection. Right? It's a look yeah. away from the things that you should be looking at. So nobody is having a conversation about VPS and yeah. their involvement in the looting over it's there as the cases come to court. As those cases are coming to court, right? Mm. See how much they have ramped up all of this, this anger and this vitriol around people's mm. poverty and what the... <laughs> the poverty and and what they believe the source of that poverty is because now you're not talking about vps now you're mm-hmm. not talking about the looting that's happened over there you know, that's yeah that's all i'm saying about what that is and garrett maybe you need to have a chat with him um in person <laughs> listen I've, i i mean i i wouldn't say we're friends but i do occasionally speak to him and i find him a very interesting human being but it is interesting also from the objective point of view, uh, to look at when he is hemmed in and he's forced to give serious answers to questions, like, for example, the way Mark Oppenheimer, and I didn't watch this, but I'm gathering from what Pumi told me this morning and what I'm, I'm reading in, in, in the, the reports that I've seen on, on this case. When Mark Oppenheimer puts him in a position where he cannot dispense with just rhetoric and p- posturing and nonsense, and he's required to account for himself, he is very often found lacking. And I do think that that's, we should be able to do that with our politicians from all stripes more. We should be able to hold them all to account for what they say and make them responsible for what they say. And this is precisely why, although I don't really care which way this goes, I've already said how I feel about, you know, hate speech and saying kill the Boer. And I think we all agree on that. But to me, it's a good example of where a politician's feet are held to the fire. And they can't just say something to get away or to stoke up, you know, anger, as Pumi rightly puts it. But they're actually forced to say, okay, you said this. What do you mean? No one ever has those follow-up questions. The media don't do their job. The media don't go, what do you actually mean when you say this? You know, one of the, of the in, in one of the Sony debates, a response that Ronald Lamola, and it, it sounded very funny when he said it, is Ronald Lamola calling Julius Malema the supreme leader of of the EFF, yeah. and which it's again, you know, we keep talking about it, but kind of very quickly get distracted by his antics, mm-hmm. the kind of because there is no there is no discounting that there is a little bit of, you know, charismatic nature to who he is. He he is very alluring and he is able to kind of build and get all these people behind him. The the thing, um, the Mail and Guardian last week's, this week's Mail and Guardian actually has a big feature on Julius Malema because he was expelled from the ANC 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? So then he was expelled from the ANC and that's how, that was the precipitator of right. starting the EFF. And fascinating to see how the EFF then positions that thing over the weekend as in saying, you know, Julius Malema left the corrupt ANC. Oh, is that how they positioned it? And, and this is, you know, so this is, for me, these are all of the little signs. And, and earlier when I was saying to you that I do hope that people are also not just watching this for the spectacle that it is, but Mm. also kind of deciphering for themselves. If this is the kind of leader that you believe you want to cast your vote for. You know, so if you're saying the corrupt ANC and I don't believe in the DA and Action XA and da-da-da-da and I'm going to give my vote to the EFF, is this kind of leadership, the leadership 
that you want mm. not just for your party but for your country as well you know it's it's and and i mean he's 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 rude and he's brash and he's all of those various things and also looks down on so many people in so many ways is you know is this yeah. the kind of well that's leadership a, that's a good... even as an opposition leader by the way yeah. even as an opposition leader these are yeah. the things that we must be thinking about that's uh, that's a maybe a good uh, point to leave it on because we're all going to have to answer that question at some point. What kind of leader do we want? Uh, Pumlani, it's always good to have you on. Any parting shot from you before we go? Well, uh, <laughs> I think for me, I would agree with what Pumi is saying. I mean, in terms of leadership, it really, he sort of is a character we can all kind of, you know, assess and think things through as to do we really want this person to be the leader of South Africa. So as it does these things, you need to reflect on that as well. And I get I get very surprised as to how really people have been those who have been voting for them over the past years, how have they really been voting for for such a character? Uh, even the current office of the party itself. But we shall see how it goes. Um as I'm I'm not really much interested in this Gareth. I'm interested I'm interested in in, in fundamental issues that can get every South African, you know, a better life out there. Not some side showing, you know, things that aren't really that uh, that fundamental to our progress. Well, I mean, it's always uh, fascinating to hear your point of view. And thank you also to Julieta, who joined us a little earlier on. Uh, Pumlani and Julieta and Pumi Mashiko, thank you all very, very much for Thanks, being with Gareth. us this morning. We, we haven't had, uh, we haven't had that well, lunch, man. Uh, you had enough. your, didn't you have your car stolen? And then, um, yeah, I had a hijacking and then just things just shut out during December. But Sorry, man. yeah, I'm keeping that back to it. Well, well <laughs> I, I do owe you, I do owe you lunch. Let's do it. You, you tell me when. Yes, definitely. All right. Very good. Thanks, Pumlani. Nice to see you. Thanks, everybody. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. bright and early. And if you like The Burning Platform, don't forget to join us next Thursday, same time, same place, with Pumi and I. And we will look after you as we go into the, the next week of, of craziness that is South Africa and the world. Very nice. We'll see you tomorrow.